0: This will actually be the second message that we're going to, to preach here on, on the, the topic of the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot to be said about the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and a lot of times there's a lot of confusion involving the Holy Spirit. But we're going to sort of take our time and work through some things. Uh, but did you know that today was actually Pentecost Sunday? Did anybody know that this morning? Today's Pentecost Sunday. Where I, where I used to go to church, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday. like That was a, that was a big day. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Pentecost though, it just means, it means 50 because it means uh, it's 50 days after Passover. And Passover in the Old Testament was when they applied the blood of the Lamb to the doorposts and and the death angel passed over and they got free and went into the wilderness. But see, Jesus died on Passover and 50 days after Jesus died, the the 120 saints were in an upper room praying and all of a sudden there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the house where they were sitting. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now a lot of people will, will teach and preach that you know the reason that the disciples went out with such passion preaching the gospel was because they saw the resurrected Christ. Now, I I would agree with you that, man, seeing a resurrected Jesus after Jesus had died and then seeing Him raised from the dead, that would have been something that would have been compelling. That would have made me think, man, okay, now I really need to get serious about what's going on, amen? But even Jesus said specifically that wasn't going to be enough. That there had to be something more than just them seeing Him resurrected. That they needed a supernatural power to carry out the mission that God had given them to do. Because Jesus did not do even His ministry on His own. He said, I did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. He did it by the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit that was upon His life. And so that's why it's so important that we get to the place where we understand the person of the Holy Spirit. You may want to turn my mic down just a hair. But... Um, Listen, there are, there are three types of people that I would say, and I, I think I've been all, all types of these people. Now, the first type of person is just a, just a straight-up sinner, right? This, and I've been this way before, that this person is the person that they, they, they live... Their life, they choose what's right, they choose what's wrong, and they're never—they don't feel bad about it. They're just going to continue in the lifestyle that they choose, and they don't care anything about it. They say, "Let me do me, and you do you." All right, y'all ever been in that situation? I've been there before. The second group of people, though, are are religious people, and these are people that recognize. Uh, that, that there is a God, that they need to change the way that they live, that there's a better life than the one they're living. But they, they what they, what they do then is they try on their own self-effort to change themselves and try to be a better person. And what I've come to find is that the majority of people, especially here in southeastern Kentucky, they believe Christianity is about just becoming, a, being a better person. That really, what you got to do is you got to believe in Jesus, and then you got to try really hard to be a better person. Have you ever tried really hard to be a better person? I tried one time, and it didn't work out. Like, me trying to be a better person, the only thing it revealed was how bad of a person I actually was. But see, this is why Jesus says, it's not about your efforts, it's not about your strength, it's about you coming to a place, and this is the third group of people in the world, and these are spiritual people. Now, there's spiritual people everywhere. Matter of fact, there are some spiritual people who get in contact with the wrong spirits. Amen? Amen a hair salon the other day that asked me if, if it might be a good decision for him to go consult uh, a tarot card reader. I said, no. no that would be a terrible idea. May, maybe one of the worst ideas you've ever, ever, ever made. And then I began to talk to him about Scripture. And he said, well, it's real though. People experience real results from that. I said, absolutely they experience real results because the spiritual realm is real. And there are demonic spirits and there are, is a spirit world at work. And those things can give people power. Did you realize that? But see, Jesus says, I don't want you to come in contact with just any spirit. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to have a power that is more powerful than any of the other spirits out there in this world. And that's why He says you need to test the spirits to see whether it's the Spirit of God or not. Amen? So we need to know the person of the Holy Spirit because he is a person. It is essential. I'm going to tell you something. The Holy Spirit since I became a Christian has been has been the one who has taught me everything that I needed to know. At every juncture in my life. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now the reason I'm here right now in this church. The reason I'm here is because the Holy Spirit specifically told me about coming to here. He did. And at every main juncture in my life, I've needed to know, God, what do I do in this situation? Somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit Himself reveals that to me and, le- and leads me. Because the Christian life is a Spirit-led life. We're not doing this on our own. We're not just trying to be better people. We have a person who lives on the inside of us, who empowers us and teaches us and shows us the way to go. And man, that's the best gift that I, that I can think of. See, it's a Spirit-led life. Now, if you want to, you can turn in your Bibles to John 14. And I'm going to read several verses, but what we're going to talk about this morning is just the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to get in, into anything too crazy on down in the weeks to come. We'll start addressing some issues that I know really freak everybody out, like gifts of the Spirit and tongues and stuff like that. But I'm going to ease us on into it, okay? And, and we're, because, because there's so much about the Holy Spirit that we, that we overlook and we don't realize what He's actually doing. And so I'm going to ease us into it. And I want to just talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, John uh, chapters 14 verses through, through chapter 16 is a conversation that takes place in the last 12 hours of Jesus' life. And in John chapter 14, Jesus is in the upper room with His disciples and He's talking to them about the fact that He's going away and he begins to talk to them about the Holy Spirit. And at the end of chapter 14, he says, Arise, let us go hence, in, in the King James Version. And what he's actually saying is, Look, boys, let, let's get up, let's go. And at that point, they believe scholars believe that he went to the Mount of Olives. And then in John 15, he comes to the Mount of Olives, and he's standing beside an olive tree, and that's when he begins to say, Look, I am. I'm the true vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. And he begins to teach that. Then all of a sudden they move on a little bit further and he he starts teaching more about the Holy Spirit and about how he has to go away so that the Spirit can come. And then in chapter 17 is when he begins to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane right before his death. So when we're reading these things, understand the context that what he's talking about is he's saying, boys, look, I'm about to go away, and since I'm going away, I need to tell you some very important things. And the primary theme of what he tells them in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 is all about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So here's what he begins to say in in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. I'm going to read it in the amplified version because it helps us to understand it a little bit better. He says this, he said, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. And this this word helper, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, but it's such a deep word. It's only mentioned four times in the Bible, or five times. Four times Jesus is saying it right here about the Holy Spirit, and the fifth time it's actually a reference to Jesus, how He's going to make intercession for us in 1 John. But the word can be translated in all these different ways. It can be translated comforter which is one of my favorites because I love the bed. You know what I'm talking about? And you got a comforter. And, that, and when I think about the Holy Spirit, I think about Him being my comforter in bed because that's, uh, He helps me like that. I love the bed. It's my, probably my favorite place to be. The second one is advocate, right? Intercessor. He's our counselor, he's our strengthener, and he's our standby. And Jesus says, if I go, I'm going to ask the Father, he's going to send you this guy that is a standby, he's a strengthener, he's a comforter, he's going to counsel you, he's going to do all these things. He's going to help you out, he's going to be a helper to you, and he's going to be with you, how long? A couple weeks, until you mess up. No, he's going to be with you forever. Matter of fact, he's going to be with you when you mess up, thank God. Because if he wasn't with me when I messed up, I wouldn't have any way to correct things and get better. Amen? Next verse, he says this. He says, And the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive... Now, here's 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 another thing that you're going to notice when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, is there's a difference, and it puts one against the other, as the Spirit of the world and the Holy Spirit. Because in this life and in this world primarily, people are either led and influenced by the Spirit of the world or they are led and influenced by the Holy Spirit, generally speaking. And you have to begin to decide because he says the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because it neither sees Him or knows Him. It doesn't understand how He operates. The world doesn't understand how He works. But then it says, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So over and over again, you see that the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit not as an it, not as a force. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm, I'm a big Star Wars fan, and they got the force. And I told Donald one, I came in one time after I watched a Star Wars episode, you know what I'm talking about? And I, I came in, I was talking to Donald about it. I said, Donald, God really spoke to me through this latest Star Wars. And Donald was like, yeah. And, and he, he was kind of questioning me. But, you know, Star Wars is good, but it, it has some pretty messed up spiritual principles. It's not in line with Scripture because they deal with the force, we're not dealing with a force. We're dealing with a person. He is a person. He's not. And, here, and, here's, and, and here's the big reason why you need to understand that he's a person because you can't develop a relationship with a force. See, I cannot develop a relationship with something that is an it. It came on me. You know what I'm talking about? A lot of people talk about the Holy Ghost. I got the Holy Ghost, and it it did this and it did. It's not an it. It is a he. It's a person. And see, the reason that's so important is because I won't develop a relationship with an it or a force, but I will develop a relationship if I know that it's a person. If I know that he's like me and I'm going to have a conversation with him. So it's important that I understand that I need a personal relationship with him and I need to know who he is. Now let's read a few scriptures together. In John chapter 14, Jesus goes on in 25 and 26. And here's all the things that he says. I'm going to cover a few verses here. In chapter 14, verse 25 and 26, he says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, there he uses it again, that same word, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, notice what he'll do, he will teach you all things. Say all things. That ain't some things. That's not just he'll teach you the Bible, which he will, but he's saying he will teach you all things. All things. Everything in your life that you need taught about, He is going to teach you how to do it. He'll teach you how to be a better parent. He'll teach you how to be a better child. He'll teach you how to work better at work. He will teach you all things that you need. And then it says, And bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Now over in in chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, He uses that word the third time, Whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father... He will testify of me. He says when the Spirit comes, He's going to speak about one primary thing. You know what He's going to speak about? Jesus. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. And the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life will always point to Jesus and not to a man, not to a person. Chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now that's crazy to me. Because Jesus says, I know that I'm here with you in the flesh and I'm walking with you and I'm talking with you. But He says, you'll actually be better off if I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. And then in in verse 12 and 13, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He's saying, look, there's some things I would like to tell you. But you won't be able to handle it right now. Have y'all ever been in that situation where if, if, if the Lord did tell you something, you just wouldn't even be able to receive it? That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, look, I want to tell y'all all kinds of stuff, but you're not going to be able to receive it now. But when the Holy Spirit comes, things are going to change. And He says, when He comes, the Spirit of truth, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will tell you things to come. That's awesome. But based on that verse, here's one thing that I know of a fact, is that the Holy Spirit speaks, doesn't He? You know, there's an entire group of Christians today that will actually stand behind the pulpit and mock men and women who declare that God speaks to them. Look, if God does not speak to us, boys, I do not know where we are at in this world. He has to speak to us. And Jesus is saying when He comes, the Holy Spirit, He's going to speak to you about specific things in your life. He's going to give you direction. He's going to guide you into all truth. But when He speaks, He has a different voice because He speaks not into your ear audibly. Maybe that might happen, but the primary way that He speaks is through the Word, but also He lives on the inside of you and He impresses you from within. He gives you an urge, an unction from within to know the truth and to understand the truth and to know the direction that You are going but see he desires to empower us to live the Christian life So here, here's the first thing in your notes that he is and we've already said this several times, but he, he is my helper say that say he's my helper Amen See one of the things that he that he helps me to do is he, he helps me to know what to say Because whenever I before I became a Christian. I would just about say anything. You know, what I'm talking about I used to win cussing contests and everything I mean, we would be hanging out in my, in my apartment, you know, and we would start writing rap songs. and the, the goal was to fit as many cuss words into this rap as you could, in order to to defeat the other person and make sense out of it. I know that's terrible, but when the Holy Spirit came into my life, He began to teach me how to speak differently. He got a hold of my tongue. And he began to teach me how to speak differently. And, and, and then things begin to change. But, but notice, here's, here's what he will also do. In, in, in specific situations, people will ask you, they'll say, well, would you pray for me right now? And I will begin to pray sometimes, and, and a scripture will come to my mind, and I'll pray that scripture or, or what's coming to my mind over that person. And they'll be like, I can't believe you just said that scripture. I read that, you know, yesterday, or, or that's, that scripture's been speaking to me. Well, was that me, or was that something else? No, that's the Holy Spirit who is our helper, who works in us both. And this is why one of the ways that God speaks is when He bears witness in two or three people. You ever notice that? Like over and over again, you'll hear the same word. Or somebody will say that. Or you'll be reading something and then, and then you'll come and listen to a message preached. And, he'll, and somebody will say something that it feels like, well, I've heard that recently. And that's been speaking to me. It's God bearing witness through the Spirit. Well, you know, the Holy Spirit will help you. I needed him probably most, maybe. Well, I don't know. I've always needed him. So it's, 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 I'm, I'm glad that the Lord gave him to me. Uh, I've always needed him. But like even in your relationships, I cannot tell you the number of times because when I got married, I was super still selfish. I had lived alone for several years. And so it was a big thing, you know, like I had to, I had to have the Holy Spirit put a check in my spirit and be like, don't, and I still mess up. Because sometimes I override the Holy Spirit. Anybody amen me on that? Sometimes he'd be like, hey, shut up, man. And i and I'll and just kind of override him and be like, no, I'm going to say this. And, and then you pay the consequences. But he will help you to know what, what to say, when to say it, and when to apologize and when to deal with things like that, right? So here's another way that he helps us, and this is maybe one of the most essential things. In chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus says, when he comes... He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now, a lot of people have seen these verses negatively, but they're actually extremely positive. And here's why. Because in the next three verses, Jesus explains why He's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, right? So in the next verse, He says this. He says, He's going to convict you of sin, and He's going to convict the world of sin, because they do not believe in me now here's what he's going to here's what he's really saying is that he's going to convict you of sin because in, unless you know that you are a sinner you will not recognize your need of a savior you know how many people that you're speaking to out in the world on a daily basis and you're talking to them about jesus their first and most important issue is that they don't actually recognize their need of a savior because they don't even know that they're sinners. And this is why the majority of people that you will talk to, they'll, they'll just assume, well, I, I mean, I'm saved or I'm going to heaven while living in open sin. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But see, when he comes, he says he's going to convict the world of sin because until you recognize that you are a sinner, you'll never recognize that you are in need of a Savior. But anybody who has been saved, you know what I'm talking about because I lived, I lived 10 years of my life and just, just, I was a hoodlum. You know what I'm talking about? I did crazy things. And I was never convicted of it. I didn't feel bad about it. Matter of fact, I felt pretty good about it. I was having a good time. And then all of a sudden, something began to happen in my heart. And I really couldn't put my finger on it. But I knew that something was going on. And I was being drawn in a direction. And at some point, I started reading the Bible. And see, here's where, here's, the Bible says we're not under law, but we're under grace. But here's where the law is good. Because I read verses that said drunkards and fornicators shall not enter the kingdom of God. You know what happened? And I got convicted. I felt terrible. I was like, my God. I don't, I'm not even going to heaven, apparently. I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and if you've ever been saved, you've felt the weight of that conviction where you realize in a moment of time that you are under the power of sin and you need a Savior and it is beginning to pull on you and tug on you and maybe you can't even put it into words, but you just understand that you need to turn it all over to Jesus and you need to believe in Him. And he says the reason the Holy Spirit's going to convict people of sin is because they don't believe on Jesus. When you get convicted of sin, now all of a sudden you're like, man, I need Jesus to save me. And the Holy Spirit does that work on the inside of us. And then he says, here's the second thing that he does. Because it's his job to lead us to Jesus. But in verse 10 it says he's going to convict us of righteousness. Jesus says, because I go to my Father and you won't see me anymore. He's saying, here's what's going to happen. I will be at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I will have shed my blood to get you into reconciliation and in right relationship with the Father. And I'm going to give you the gift of righteousness. So the second thing that the Holy Spirit is going to convict us of, and right here, it's, it, it, He doesn't say He's going to convict you of right living. Even though He will convict you of right living, right now here He's talking about that He will convict you of righteousness. That means that he, He's going to convince you that you now have right standing with God because you have believed in Jesus. He's actually going to convince you that you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, that you are saved, and that you have right standing with God the Father, and that you have access to the Father, and you have relationship with the Father, and you can communicate with the Father anytime that you want to because you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Thirdly, he says this. He's going to convict you and convince you of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged now at this point the ruler of this world you know who it was many people would say well it was god god rules everything yes god does oversee everything but jesus called satan the ruler of this world you realize that the spirit of the world is under the rulership and under the, head, under the leadership of, of Satan at this point, at that very point. And Jesus said in John 12, 31, He said, now is the judgment of this world and now the ruler of this world will be cast out. In 1430, he says, the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. What he's getting ready, what he's saying is, I'm going to convict the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. What he's saying is, is, I'm bringing a judgment on Satan and everything that he's done to the world and everything that he's brought you under and I'm going to take his authority back and I'm going to give that authority to you. Now, what most of us have heard when we read those verses is is that God is going to convict you that you're a sinner That you're not living right, and God's going to punish you. Anybody amen me on that? Got got one amen. But here's what He's really saying. He is saying God is going to convict you that you are a sinner so that you will turn to Jesus and believe in Jesus and then He is going to convict you and convince you that you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that you're a child of God, that you're born again, that greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. And then He is going to convince you that Satan has no more power or authority over you and if you will simply turn and walk with Jesus, you will now be empowered by the Spirit to overcome All the powers of darkness and Satan can no longer legally bind you. Hallelujah. Hey, that's good preaching, Clay. Keep coming, brother. I'm with you this morning. Amen. Now, see, that's a a good word right there because these are the things that he's convincing us of. The Holy Spirit is at work in our life to convince us of these things. But here, let me give you the second point of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit, he is my friend. He's my friend. I have a relationship with him like that. But here's the thing about the Holy Spirit is he's not really like a weird friend. You ever had a weird friend? You know, when I first met Ryan Gay back here, he's not a weird friend. We call him Ray Gay, but his name's Ryan. But when he first met me, he said, you know, when I first met you, buddy, I thought you stuck up, (laughs) which I can understand that. But that was his first impression of me. And then, of course, after he got to know me, but he said, but you know what, man, you're the most awesome human in the world. And he, he didn't say that. But here's what I want to say is that, is that the Holy Spirit is our friend, but sometimes we get a wrong first impression of Him. Because I don't know about you, but when I first got into church, the language around the Holy Spirit was like, like people would go up to the altar you know, and, have, and have what they called a shouting fit. And they would say that language, they say they have a shouting fit, and i say, yeah, but they didn't shout. I didn't hear them shouting, they were just doing this. Y'all ain't even laughing this morning. Y'all know it's funny. So, but, but here's the thing, when people talked about the Holy Spirit and they talked about the work of the Holy Spirit, because that's what I saw and that's what they associated Him with, I thought that the Holy Spirit who was, was the guy that made you get happy and loose and crazy a little bit in church service, Right. And maybe to some degree, when we get in the presence of God, there's joy and we have fun. And I'm all for dancing. I'm not against that. But there's far more to the Holy Spirit than just that. And here's what I want to say. This is what I learned in process of time, is that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. You can have new power and new life and not be a weird person. You really can. But see, what we think is, well, those. I've even heard people say, well, those are those people down there that believe in the Holy Spirit like that stuff. I'm like, and you're a Christian and you don't believe in the Holy Spirit? There are different interpretations. There are different representations of the Holy Spirit and what people think about him. But here's what I'm saying is he's a good friend and he's not a weird friend. He is very wise. Matter of fact, he is the Spirit of Christ. If you want to know how the Spirit acts, guess who he acts like? Exactly like Jesus Christ. That's who he acts like. So... He moves, He does powerful things, and we're not against that. But it's important that we know who He is and what He does. Now, see, when the church first received the Holy Spirit, there were thousands saved in one day because of the power of the Holy Spirit. They healed the sick, they cast out demons, they raised the dead. Matter of fact, the Bible says they turned the world upside down. Because why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit was operating in their life. And, and what happened is, even, even in, throughout history, you see the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church, and to some degree, some doctrines came in that said, well, these certain things passed away, and these things no longer happen, and when you get saved, you receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And, and we don't necessarily believe that that's what the Bible teaches. But what we do see is that at the turn of the 20th century, the Holy Spirit began to move again all over the globe, actually. And, 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 and of course, they, called, they ended up calling it the Pentecostal and then the Charismatic Movement. And, and what happened, I believe, is that people were really tapping into the move of the Spirit of God in a unique way that had been lost for certain centuries. And when it came back, I believe that Satan thought to himself, you know what, if people really understand the true power of the Holy Spirit and they allow the Holy Spirit to use them in unique ways, God is literally going to use them to turn the world upside down. I need to get in here right now and confuse some people. This is why there are certain things that are attacked in the church more than anything. And what, what Satan did is he said, look, we're going to come against the Holy Spirit, so here's what we're going to do, demons. Demons. We're going to take the one gift that freaks everybody out, emphasize it, and have people do crazy stuff with it, and let's, get, let's attack tongues. Anybody amen me? Because you want... Listen, I know people that will say, well, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in healing, but we don't believe in tongues. How are you going to believe in one and not believe in the other? It's in Scripture. And I need to pull back, though, a little bit, because I understand. I understand why. I understand why people struggle with these things, and we're going to discuss these in the weeks to come, but there is nothing in Scripture. There's one verse actually in Scripture that says, it says this, it says in, Romans, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, Whether there are tongues, they shall cease. Whether there are prophecies, they shall fail. And whether there is knowledge, it shall vanish away. And then it says, But then that which is perfect shall come, that which is in part shall be done away. And then it says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. And then he goes on to say, We see now through a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face, and all of these things will cease. Here's what that Scripture is saying. Now, what people interpret that have interpreted that to mean is that the perfect thing that was going to come was the Bible. And when we got the Bible, well, then all of a sudden, the gifts of the Spirit ceased, and tongues were no more, and prophecies were no more. Not only that, knowledge was apparently no more. But the Scripture says that when that which is perfect, the Greek word, Donald, is telos. And it means the end goal when the end goal has come, and then it actually even says in context that we'll actually see this end goal one day face to face. Then he says, "Well, and you know what the end goal is? It's Jesus Christ and you looking like him. That's the end goal. And until that happens, we need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We need the fruits of the Spirit. We need the gifts of the Spirit. We need the power of the Spirit to witness. Because until we see Jesus face to face, that's the only way that we're going to get a greater revelation of who Jesus is in the world. Now don't get me wrong, people have abused the gifts... People have misused them, they've been misrepresented, but I'm telling you right now, I know in my life that that the power of the Spirit of God and what He has done in my life, I would not trade it for anything. And there's no way that in in a good conscience I could step back and say, okay, we're just going to kind of set those aside because they're not important. I talked with a pastor the other day, and, and I asked him about his views on that because he was asking me about my views on hell and other things like that. And we got into a big, deep conversation. And then so I asked him about his views on the Holy Spirit, and he was like, well, you know, we, we, we see that they're in Scripture, but, 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 but we just don't really think that they are the way that people make them out to be. And I said, well, explain. And, and he just sort of stuttered on his words. Because the truth of the matter is, is that if you engage Scripture, you see that they're there, and you can't get by with them unless you, are, unless you ignore them. And Paul said, brethren, concerning the Holy Spirit and His gifts, I would not have you ignorant or I would not have you to ignore them. Amen? So pray about that. Open your heart and mind to it. We'll discuss that more in weeks to come. But i got to stay on my sermon, don't I? The issue, the issue is, here's another issue. I'm tracing I'm, I'm some rabbit trails, but we got time. The other issue is, is in the Pentecostal church, they've always talked about, they've always talked about the gifts of the Spirit as the evidence. Now, my personal opinion is, is that's a very bad use of a term. Because what it does is it makes people believe that somebody who speaks in tongues is more spiritual than somebody who doesn't. I think it's Donald that says speaking in tongues doesn't make me uh, more spiritual than you, it just makes me more spiritual because I need help. The gift of tongues does not by any means make any other person better. It's actually a gift that helps you in your relationship with God. And, and, and so we don't, we don't put people on a pedestal and say, well, you either got it or you don't got it. No, you have it. You just need to learn how to operate in it. You already, the Spirit of God's dwelling in you. You need to allow, allow Him to baptize you in Him. To take you deeper so that you can be filled with His Spirit. So evidence is not the best thing because it's like you need to prove to me that you've got it. No, it's not about evidence. You don't have to prove anything to me. This is between you and God. But it's not evidence that He gives us. It's benefits that He gives us. Not evidence, benefits. Now there are several benefits that He gives us. One of the benefits of friendship is that He gives me power. And most importantly, on the day of Pentecost, He gave them power to be a witness. Acts 1.8. Second benefit is He gives me love. He sheds the love of God abroad in my heart. 1 Corinthians 13. The third benefit of the the Holy Spirit is fruit. He gives me love, joy, peace, self-control, gentleness. All of these things begin to produce. And then lastly, He gives me gifts. All nine of them. And we believe in all nine of those. Now, the third thing is, is that the Holy Spirit, He is my God. Can you say that with me? You still with me? He is my God. Amen. Now, this is interesting because people, again, I remember I used to teach on the Holy Spirit. And when I did teach on the Holy Spirit, people came up to me and actually a couple different times said this to me. They said, said, man, you guys, like y'all act like the Holy Spirit is God or something. I said, well, that's because he is. (laughs) Like he actually is God. He's not like... But because see, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is talked about so little in the church and people are so afraid of Him. and they, they just don't want to be those weird charismatic people to such a degree that they put the Holy Spirit over in the back somewhere and we talk about the Father and the Son all the time. And Jesus actually said, look, now I'm going to talk about the Spirit a lot because here's what I know. You'll not be able to live the Christian life without Him. That's what He says. That's how important that He was to Him. But here's the thing. We think... We have the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, the, and, and we even believe that all three of them are to be worshipped and glorified. Because they all make one God. And they are totally interdependent. And they never separate themselves in that sense. But they function in three different ways. Now see, we think, the, the reason we don't see the Holy Spirit as a person is because you have the Father, and Father sounds like a person. The Son, Jesus, He sounds like a person. But then you just have the Holy Spirit, and it sounds like He doesn't have a name. But let me tell you what His name is in Scripture. His name is God. His name is God. His function is Father. His name is God. He has another person whose function is Son. His name is God. He functions as Spirit. His name is God. The Spirit's name is God. That's who He is. And over and over in Scripture, even the verses that I read to you in the beginning, you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit right there together, working together. Jesus says, I will ask the Father. He will send the Spirit in My name. You see the triune God working together right there. And they're always working together. They're always interdependent. And here, but here's, here's a verse in Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. Can you put that up really quick, Acts, Acts 5, 3 and 4? Just to prove to you that he's God. Peter says to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Did you know that you can lie to the Holy Spirit? And he says, And keep back part of the price of the lamb for yourself. And then he said this. At the end of it, he says, You have not lied to men, but to God. You've not lied to men, you've lied to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. He is the present God that is active with us in this moment. And when we lie to God, we're lying to the Holy Spirit because He is God. And so he, he addresses that there and he begins to talk about that. But see, what distinguishes actually a, a, a person from, from an it or a thing? Because like, a, a tree is a living being, isn't it? But it doesn't, it's not a person, is it? Because it doesn't have a soul. It doesn't have a mind. It doesn't have a will. It doesn't have an emotion. But see, what what makes a person is that it has a personality. It has a soul. It has a mind. It has will. It has emotions. And we think with our minds. We desire with our wills, right? And we feel with our emotions. And the Holy Spirit has all three of these things. But see, the Holy Spirit wants to live on the inside of us because here's His goal. He wants us to think like God thinks. He wants us to desire what God desires and He wants us to feel what God feels and we cannot do that properly unless we have a relationship with Him and we yield to Him and He lives on the inside of us and He is our driving force. He wants me to think like God thinks. He wants me to desire what God desires and make the choices God would desire and He wants me to feel what God feels. And so many times people are asking, you know, well, what what does God feel in this situation? Look, you've got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You develop a relationship with Him and before long you will know what God is thinking. You will know what God desires. And ultimately you'll even know what God feels. And you'll start to walk in and flow in the Holy Spirit. And it's really a simple task. The only thing God is saying is I want you to develop a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. See, here's the fourth thing. Is that he, he ha- the Holy Spirit has a mind. He has a mind. Amen? Amen? Any of y'all got minds? It's a good thing to have. My dad used to run around joking all the time and say something stupid like, a, "Didn't you say the mind is a terrible thing and it must be stopped before it kills everybody?" I don't know what he's doing. He—he's he, a goofy guy. That guy. It was funnier when he did it. But the mind is a good thing if it's used properly, and the Holy Spirit has a mind that is flawless. And this, the Holy Spirit's mind knows all things. In John 16, 13, we read it. It says that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. How could He guide you into all truth if He didn't know all truth? He is all-knowing. And not only that, He knows how to apply specific truth to your life in the moment that you need it because He knows where you are at. At different points in our life, you may need one one piece of truth while I need another piece of truth. But the Holy Spirit knows where we're at and He knows how to apply it. And listen, the Scripture says that He has committed Himself to being your teacher and He desires to teach you all things. He wants to. A lot of times we struggle and we think, well, you know, I never hear the voice of God. I'm telling you right now that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you every day. It's not a question of whether or not He wants to or whether or not He will speak. He is speaking. We just have to learn how to hear Him. We just have to learn how to develop a relationship and walk with Him. But He's committed to being our teacher. But see, you'll never ask Him things unless you know that He's a person. I cannot tell you the number of times when I became a Christian. I started reading the Bible. I had no clue what was going on. And you know, thank God that the Lord gives us us teachers, doesn't He? You know, sometimes people will call me and they'll ask me questions about Scripture and stuff like that. And, I, and I, I, I love that. I love to answer that because I believe that God gives us... The Bible says He actually gives us teachers and He gives people that study and He teaches people why. So that they can teach the body and people can grow. But at the same time, every single one of us need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit where that when we don't understand something we don't know anything, you know what we need to do? Say, hey, Holy Spirit, teach me this. And I cannot tell you the number of times I've done that... I've asked him to show me what something means. And it may not, sometimes it does come right away. Other times, he'll give me references to other scriptures that I need to know. Other times, I will ask him, and then a month down the road, all of a sudden, somebody will come up to me and speak to me and say, you know what, I was reading in the Bible the other day, this, this, and this, and it'd be like, the Holy Spirit just answered my question. Because that's how he works. But if I don't think he's a person, I won't ask him. If I don't think He's willing to give me the knowledge, I won't ask Him. This is why I need to develop a relationship with Him because He needs to be my primary source of knowledge. We need men that are anointed by the Holy Spirit to teach, but more than that, I need a relationship with the Holy Spirit where He's the one leading me, He's the one guiding me into all truth. He has a mind. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, I love it, it says, it says that I has not seen, your eyes not seen. Your ear has not even heard, it's not even entered your heart, the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. You've not even seen it or known it. But then he says in the next verse, we think that's a heaven verse, but it's not. Because in the next verse he says, but He has revealed them to us by His Spirit. The Spirit comes to reveal to you things to come in your own life. He says, this is where I want to take you. This is what I want to show you. But not only that, He shows you things that your ear hasn't heard, your eye's not seen, it's not entered your heart, the things that He has prepared for you. And then it says, because the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And then He comes and He lives in, in our spirit and He begins to reveal to us these deep things of God. And then that's why at the very end of the chapter it says, look, who has known the mind of the Lord that He may instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now if I asked you, do you have the mind of Christ? Christ. You'd be like, Lord, no. I mean, I can barely, I barely know what John chapter 3 means. I don't have the mind of Christ. He's not saying that mentally you have everything here. He's saying that in here, you have the mind of Christ. Because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. And everything God thinks, everything God feels, everything God desires is already on the inside of you. Amen? The next thing, number five, is He has a will. Like, He, he, he literally desires certain things. In Acts 16, 6... It says, now, when they had gone through Phrygia, that's a really cool name for a place, and the region of Galatia, it says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. I want you to think about this, because Paul and these guys are thinking, boys, we need to go down to Asia. Those guys don't know the gospel yet. We need to preach the gospel down there. And they decide, yeah, it'd be good, because nobody's heard the gospel down there. Let's go. And they get ready to go preach the gospel, and all of a sudden it says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit forbid you to do anything? Anybody? Hey, I've had Him forbid me to do some things, and I did it anyway. And paid the price. Because He will put a check in your spirit. There are even things that will look good. There will even be things in your life that they seem like, this is a good idea, this is going to be good. there's, There's been ministry opportunities in my life where where the thing looks good, it looks like it would be a good idea, looks like maybe it would be beneficial, but when I pray about it, the Holy Spirit just says, "Uh uh-uh. I just know it's just not what I'm supposed to do because the Holy Spirit puts a check in my spirit and says no, and He forbids me from doing something. See, to to forbid means to exercise your will. And when you're praying about things, the the first thing that I check is, is the life of the Spirit. Is the Spirit saying yes? Is the Spirit saying no? Is this life or is this death? Does this feel like God is in it and moving and impressing me? Or is, there, is it just empty and no life to it and i just be doing it on my own accord because it looks like a good thing, right? It was going to be a good thing for them to preach the gospel, but the Holy Spirit knows what's ahead. He knows the plans and the will that He has for your life. And so He will actually forbid you of certain things if you need Him to. Have y'all ever forbidden maybe, maybe your children from doing something? get a little bit forceful sometimes, right? The Holy Spirit will impress you but He'll never override your will. Now, here's the thing, though, is one of the primary questions that Christians have is, how do I know God's will? You ever ask that question? Anybody? Everybody already knows it. we got one guy asked what God's will was. But there's two ways that you can know the will of God, and that's the general will of God. There are two wills of God. You have the general will of God, you have the specific will of God. The general will of God is revealed to me in Scripture. Like if I want to know how God views marriage and I want to know like what marriage looks like and what's the principles in marriage, I can go to the Bible and read it and it will tell me exactly what, what I need to know about marriage. But guess what? The Bible will not tell me who to marry. Amen? Amen? I need the Holy Spirit in my life to reveal that to me. The Bible will teach me about prayer. It will even teach me how to pray. But it will not teach me what to pray in the moment when I need it. I need the Holy Spirit for that. Matter of fact, Romans 8 says, we don't know how to pray as we ought. Y'all ever felt that way? You start to pray and you realize, man, I don't even know how to pray as I ought to. But it says that the Holy Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And it says that he who knows the mind of the Spirit makes intercession for us according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit on the inside of you is always praying to the Father according to the will of God for your life. And if you will spend time and develop your relationship with the Holy Spirit, you'll start to pray the will of God out of your own mouth for your own life because you're in tune with Him. And that's good right there. Ain't it? I want to come into that specific will of God. I want to know specifically. And in order to know the will of God, I have to have communion, fellowship, and friendship with this person that lives on the inside of me that knows the will of God. You need specifics, don't you? And if you pray, a a buddy of mine here the other day, he was talking... He was talking about how, you know, sometimes he just struggles to hear God. And he hears about all these people that that hear God and they talk to God and and have conversations with God and he just didn't have it. And so he had really been going through a struggle, like a a mental kind of a struggle. And he was dealing with this thing. And it was so awesome because he woke up one morning and he had this word in his mind. And he said this word was sozo. And he was like, man, what in the world kind of word is that? And this word sozo just kept going off in his mind. And he kept hearing this word. And so finally he said, well, I'm going to look this up. And he looked it up. And then he called me about it. But the the word sozo is a word in the Greek that is used by Jesus more than any other person. And it means to save, to heal, to deliver, to set free, to bring into perfect peace. And God gave him that word just like that. When he looked it up, that was what God was saying in his mind. Isn't that amazing? See, because God was saying, look, I know you're struggling here mentally right now, but I want you to know that I've paid the price to save you mentally to heal you, to deliver you, to set you free. And he began to impress that in his mind. That's how the Holy Spirit will work sometimes. He'll speak to us specifically. And I love how he'll, he'll even, he gave him a word that he could not know in order to prove that it was him saying it. I love how he speaks like that. So here's, here's, here's the thing. We live in the greatest time in history, right? Jesus has paid the price. He has, he has given us the Holy Spirit Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, Peter gets up. He says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He said that in the last days I would pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters would prophesy. Your old men would dream dreams. Your young men would have visions, right? And I'll pour out my Spirit upon everyone in those days. How are they going to prophesy, though, unless they are hearing from God? He's saying you, there, there's this relationship with the Holy Spirit where all of a sudden we begin to speak on behalf of God because we're in relationship with God and the Holy Spirit is now using us to speak into people's lives. I want that. I don't know about you. I want that. That's what God is saying. He's saying this is the time. But here's the thing. I can hear God with you. I can, me and Donald, we will pray for you. We will ask God for a word for you. We can hear God with you, but we cannot hear God for you. You have got to hear God for yourself. You've got to have a personal relationship with God yourself. Now here's the last thing. The last thing is He has emotions. He has emotions. y'all ever get emotional? You ever get upset? Throw a fit? Things like that. The Holy Spirit has emotions. matter of fact, Ephesians 4:30 says, "Do not." grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, to grieve the Holy Spirit, to grieve, it's an emotion, it's a sadness, right? But here's the thing, it's, it's in a certain context. Let's, let's actually look at what grieves the Holy Spirit real quick. Starting at Ephesians 4.25, here's, here's, here's the context of it. Here's what it says it grieves, grieves the Holy Spirit. It says, putting away lying, lying grieves the Holy Spirit, right? Next verse says... Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Listen, I, I remember whenever me and Andrea first got married, we had a fight every now and then. You know what I'm talking about? We weren't perfect yet. We're, right now we're very close to perfect. But then we weren't, we weren't quite, quite perfect. So every now and then we'd have a fight. I can remember one night we, had, we were living over in Barville, and we had a pretty good fight. And, uh, and I was mad at this point. And I was angry. It was late. And she just, she just huffed up, you know, and, and just went back to the bedroom and closed the door. And I sat down and I said, yeah, you need to go back to the bedroom and close the door. And at about that time, I felt the Holy Spirit, this verse right here just went boom. Don't let, the, don't let the sun go down on your wrath there, my friend. You better go back here and apologize. I said, no, that's no, ridiculous. And it just kept impressing, kept impressing. And the Holy Spirit said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. This is not how you treat your wife. Go and make things right before she goes to sleep. And so I had to swallow my pride, and I walked back, and I apologized. And so we got this thing in our house now, and it's it's a gift given by the Holy Spirit. We call it pardons. And we give an unlimited amount of pardons all the time. You know what I'm talking about? I have to say, look, you're going to have to give me a pardon on that when I messed up. My bad. (laughs) And we'll have to talk it out, and finally, you know, she'll give me a pardon. Because Holy Spirit is all about forgiveness, and I'll tell you why. Because we're jacked up people. And, and you and me both are going to mess up about 20 times a day, but the Holy Spirit says, what I can give you is this gift and it's called forgiveness and not letting the sun go down on your anger. Amen? But anger, wrath, that, that, that grieves the Holy Spirit. Then it says, don't give place to the devil. That's going to grieve him. Next verse. It says, let him who steals, steal no more. Stealing grieves the Holy Spirit. Next verse. No, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but that which is good for building others up. When you speak corruption out of your mouth and you tear people down, guess what it does? It grieves the Holy Spirit. Next verse. Go to the next one. Then it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So it's this kind of bad attitude. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as in Christ God forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God, next verse, and walk in love, next verse, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. So in one big summary statement, what grieves the Holy Spirit? It's sinful behavior. It's a bad attitude. Now see, just because you sin doesn't mean that you lose your salvation, but it does mean that you lose your intimacy with the Holy Spirit. You may amen me on that? And you know it too, because as soon as you do some of these things, all of a sudden you feel a distance, right? There's, there's a check in your spirit. You feel a weight. You feel like something is going on there. But see, what grief is, is like when grief happens, what, when we lose a loved one, because we had intimacy with that person, and then all of a sudden in a moment of time, that intimacy is cut off. And the Holy Spirit grieves when we continue in sinful behavior because what's happening is is He wants to be intimate with us, but we're walking in sin and that causes us to no longer be intimate. And that's why He grieves over us. And so you have to be aware of what are the things that I'm allowing in my life that are grieving the Holy Spirit that is affecting my relationship with Him. Is it things that are coming out of my mouth? Is it my attitude? Is it a relationship? What are these things that are in my life that are hindering my intimacy with the Holy Spirit because these things are grieving Him? Amen? 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says this, Do not quench The Holy Spirit. So you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can lie to the Holy Spirit, we find out. But you can also quench the Holy Spirit. And that means that when God... The the language is, is that there's a fire burning and you come over and pour a bucket of water on it. Now, when the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart, and some of you have experienced it, because people say sometimes, well, I just felt the Holy Spirit just urging me to go forward just to pray, or or the Holy Spirit was urging me to go speak to this person about Jesus and, and talk to this person, but I just didn't do it. You know what you did in that moment? You quenched the Holy Spirit. He was burning, He was kindling a fire in you to respond and to take action in a certain situation. And while He was leading you, you chose rather to quench the Holy Spirit. Put a blanket on Him. We don't want to do that. Acts 7.51, I love this verse. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Man, that'd be a good Sunday morning if preacher got up and preached that, wouldn't it? You stiff-necked, which just means stubborn, and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be resisted. He will draw you. he 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 will appeal to you. He will call you. But you can resist Him... And say no to him when he is drawing you to do something. And you know what? Here's what's so funny. The Bible actually tells us that we are to resist the devil. But the truth is, we'll actually let the devil into our lives and into our homes and resist the Holy Spirit. Isn't that crazy? We'll go home today and do things and watch things and listen to things that open the door for the devil. We're supposed to resist him, but we let him in and resist the Holy Spirit. It's got to be the other way around. He says, do not resist the Holy Spirit. And then James chapter 4, you guys can come to the music. James chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. Notice this language. He says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of, of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's hard language, isn't it? The next verse says, or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Now, I want you to think about that because he's saying the Holy Spirit dwells within you and, it, and he is literally likening this to the fact that we become adulterers and adulteresses. Now, here's what he's saying. The Holy Spirit wants a relationship with you like marriage. You understand that? And when we choose to walk with the Spirit of the world, rather than walking with the Holy Spirit, it feels to Him like adultery. It feels like to Him that we are, tr- that we are cheating on Him. And a matter of fact, He yearns jealously for you. He yearns jealously for you to not be given to this world To not be given to the thoughts of this world, the desires of this world, to not be given to the pollutions of this world, but to come to Him and have intimacy with Him and have a relationship with Him so He can live inside of you. He can guide you. He can be your wisdom. He can be your knowledge. He can be all those things. And He says, don't you realize that when you become a friend of of the lifestyle and the patterns of the world that you're you're actually becoming an enemy of what I'm trying to do in your life? And I'm yearning jealously for you and I want to show you things. And, and for some people right now, I'm telling you, I, just re- I really believe that the Holy Spirit is saying that right now in, in this, in the, at this point in your life, I'm wanting to reveal some things to you that you just, you just never realize. And I want to use you in ways that you've never completely and fully understood. And there's all kinds of different teaching. There's all sorts of different understandings concerning things. And look, here's the thing. We don't force anything on anybody. We believe that you can be in fellowship with us and not even necessarily believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Because what matters is that we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that He is the Savior of the world. And there are some other things that are essential. But listen, we don't want to get too caught up in causing division over these things. Because the Spirit is always working to bring unity in the body of Christ, He never works to bring division. And if at any point I've even preached a word today that seems divisive, I I tell you right now that that wouldn't be from the Holy Spirit. Because he He wants to bring unity among all sorts of believers, but His desire is that He would guide us into all truth so that we would know that truth, that there wouldn't be confusion, but that we could be used by Him. Now, right now, here's what I want to do. I want you to just bow your heads just for a moment. And I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit, just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me right now through this message? What are you saying to me right now through this message? Because maybe there's something in your life that has been grieving the Holy Spirit and has gotten between you. And your intimacy and your relationship with him. And he's pointing his finger on that and he's saying, that right there. I just want I want to give you power. And here's the thing: if you'll yield to the Holy Spirit, he will give you the power to overcome every sin. Believe that with all my heart. I've experienced it. But he's asking you to begin to yield that to him. Say, Lord, I realize that's that's coming between us now, and I've got I've got to give that up. And if in any way you've been resisting the Holy Spirit, right now it's time to say, I'm no longer going to resist Him. And and maybe for some of you right now in this moment, the Holy Spirit is saying, it's time for you to give your life to Jesus. It's time for you to get saved because you've you've not put your faith in Christ, repented of your sin and believed in Him and been saved. If that's you right now, I want you to raise your hand. Nobody's looking except me, but if, if the Holy Spirit's asking you to do that right now, would you raise your hand? Let me know. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just lift your hand, just so I can see. Now, how many of you would say, with your heads still down, that there's there's something that the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now, and you need to respond to that thing exactly? Would you lift your hand? Let me know. Just say the Holy Spirit's speaking something to me about that right there in my life, and I know I need to lay that down. All right, Father, right now we just pray, God. We thank you for what you're doing. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to come because you are the Spirit of truth. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to bind right now every unclean spirit, every confusing spirit. And we release you, Spirit of truth, to bring us all into the truth that we would know Jesus, that we would see Jesus, and that, Lord, this morning we would be people of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, empowered with the Spirit. And, God, that every lie, every falsehood that we believed, that it would fall to the ground and that you would begin to open our hearts as a people, God, to be filled and empowered by your Holy Spirit, God. Do that change in our heart, Holy Spirit. Do that work in our hearts. We yield to you right now in Jesus' name. I want you to just stand to your feet right now. We're going to take a moment just to worship, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to respond to God. I want you to come forward because we believe that when we respond to God, it actually opens us up for the Holy Spirit to have more access in our life. So listen, do not resist the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. But respond to Him and allow Him to have His way in in your heart. Amen.